Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I have a Firebird Book Award winning author to share with you. She is Eleanor Macaulay Cooper, and her winning book is titled Dragonfly Dreams. When Eleanor was 21, just out of college and on her way to her first job teaching English in Japan, she learned that she had an aunt who had married a man from China and lived in China for 40 years. At the time, China was closed to the West, so no one knew if her aunt was still alive. But Eleanor was determined to find out, and one day, to tell her story. When Nixon and Mao opened the doors, Eleanor's Aunt Grace returned to the United States. Eleanor soon met her and lived with her aunt in the last year of her life. Eleanor has just published this novel, Dragonfly Dreams, which won the Firebird Book Awards, set in China during World War II based on the true story of how her aunt's family with three children survived the Japanese occupation and avoided being sent to an internment camp. Her earlier book, titled Grace in China, tells of this same aunt's 40 years in China and will be republished in August by New South Books. Eleanor has worked in Japan, traveled around the world by herself before she was 25, lived in San Francisco and New York, and currently lives in a beautiful town that I love, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm looking forward to finding out more. So welcome to the network, Eleanor. Thank you, Pat. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I love Chattanooga. My husband's from the Knoxville area, and we had a home in the Smoky Mountains. So we've been all over Tennessee, and I just think it's the most beautiful place. Well, thank you. Come back again. <laughs> Chattanooga's in a beautiful natural setting, mountains, river, beautiful hardwood forest. We're a beautiful city. So we'd love to have you. <laughs> All right. Maybe one of these days we'll wander back over. I'll let you know when that happens. Well, my friend, congratulations on the book win. That was very, very exciting. It, it was exciting to me, the Firebird Book Award. You know, I, I really appreciate how you also have a twist for um, a charity for, for helping the homeless shelters. It really made me feel good that knowing that my my contribution to to this effort it also helps other people so thank you for doing that but i want to say a few things about me i did win in all five categories and that was just uh astounding to me and very exciting one of them was the asian pacific rim my book is set in china and another was a one for historical fiction because it's set in world war ii and then i won for juvenile and preteen fiction um, and my book is aimed for ages 10 to 14. I guess I'd be about fifth through eighth grade. These are the years that uh, students are beginning to look at global uh, studies and inter um, multicultural studies. Many of those issues come up in this book. It's just packed with cultural uh, information as well as historical. The reason I chose this particular period, World War II in China, is because um, my aunt and her family of three children uh, were in China at that time, and they had to go into hiding to protect my aunt, who was an American, from being arrested or sent to an internment camp. So the story is about how um, what, what China was like at that time for an American who was there. It, I, I tell it as fiction, and my, my narrator is the 10-year-old daughter. She's 10 years old at the beginning of the story and, of course, 13 by the end. And she matures and changes during the war years. 
So it covers, it's it's historical fiction, but it's based on a true story. Oh, it's a fascinating book. I want to jump back a little bit here, talking about just the dragonfly. Uh, on your website, you have the quote, if a dragonfly lands on you, it means change is coming. You better watch your dreams. And when I first read that, Eleanor, it just so resonated with me. Last summer, especially, I would go outside and sit by an apple tree that I planted in the yard in remembrance of my mom who passed away. And nearly every time I go outside and sit down by this tree, a dragonfly lands on my hand and just stays there. We just have a jolly conversation. So I thought I'd mention that to you. Oh, that's wonderful. What a great image. You know, since I've written this book, I am so aware of dragonflies now. And they do come quite frequently. Uh, much more than we think because it, it, we have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And um, just recently, you know, that quote there, uh, change is coming. I have a, a granddaughter who's about uh, seven, and she says, you know, uh, change can be good or change can be bad. And uh, she says, and then, then she paused and she said, I guess it takes the wisdom to know which it is. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's true, and that's the kind of tension I hope the story carries. Mm -hmm. This, this, what's happening here could be good or it could be bad. Uh, what's happening to our our uh, protagonist could be good or could be bad, and the the reader doesn't know what's going to happen no. uh, until the end. Even though we're we're talking about a long time ago, World War II, you know, our situations today are, are a little bit tenuous. And you even say on your website about yourself that you chronicle families on the edge of traumatic historical events portending personal and social turmoil. And I just found that to be so such a timely statement. Well, you're right. We are uh, all we are now in in a lot of uh, turmoil that that can both be both personal and um, historical. Um, in fact, you know, these, um, I, I wrote the book years ago. It took me many years to get it published. And I, in fact, that's part of the story I want to tell is not to give up, not to give up because when COVID hit, I said, oh my goodness, or, or in, in your podcast, oh my gosh. <laughs> now every kid in the world actually is experiencing what it's like to be at home with your parents, not able to go to school, not able to celebrate holidays, see family, see your friends. Um, all of these things were being experienced worldwide. And that's what this story is about because the, during the war, the family had to go into hiding. The, the, the children could not, of course, go to school or see their friends. Or, In fact, the story, the tension in the story is about Nini, the protagonist, trying to stay in touch with her best friend, Chiyoko, and they create a secret hiding place in the garden where they can leave messages. That's the only way they could communicate. They didn't have text or phones that young people have today. So um, the, the, the tension was trying to get to that place, trying to leave a message or see if there was a message for each other. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yes, uh, the, 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 the tension is there. It is there, and it's there. I think that we can make that parallel between then and now, even though technology and those kind of things have changed. That feeling of tension doesn't change. So I want to talk about your book. You first wrote it as nonfiction, and then this fictionalized version. Let's just go back to when you first 
were pulling all your resources together to begin to write the nonfiction book. Uh, yes, uh, my my aunt. Um, I first found out that I had a, an aunt in China when I was 21, as you read earlier. I was 21 on my way to Japan, and I stopped to see uh, a relative in California before I flew out to Japan. And she told me, well, you're not the first to go. And she told me about this aunt I had who had married a Chinaman, as she said, and lived in China. And as far as she knew, she was either still there or she had died. Or being killed. So I was immediately struck and fascinated and determined to tell this story someday. So um, uh, later, my aunt did come back. I lived with her the last year of her life. Uh, I tried to help her write her own story. So I had her memoir writings, but they were incomplete. Uh, years later, we found a whole box of letters that had been saved by a member in the family. So we gathered up the letters, the memoir writings, articles we found. And uh, began to realize, um, when I say we, I'm talking about her son, William Lou and myself. We began to realize that we have a lot in her voice. And so all I had to do was fill in with historical uh, data to know what was happening at that at the time. Um, and so we put the book together, Grace in China, using all of those different ways that Grace herself told the story and then tied it together historically. So it's really a very, very personal uh, book, and it has lots and lots of pictures in it. And it's going to be republished this summer. I'm so excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, then then I, I began to um, think about how to reach younger people, because this, this um, uh, part of history we've just talked about was so fascinating, and it's not taught in school. So I met Catherine Patterson, who's the author of uh, Bridge to Terabithia, very famous uh, children's literature person. And uh, she told me she had been born in China at that same time. And I was so fascinated with that. And she said she, so she really encouraged me to write this book. Uh, And also Suzanne Fisher Staples, who's the author of Shabanu and other books, uh, young adult books in, that take place in Afghanistan. She encouraged me. So, I had to learn how to write for young readers, how to write historical fiction. All that was new to me. It took a long time to figure that out. I had a writer's group. I had a mentor. I took some classes. But finally, I got the book out, uh, and I felt I was really excited about it. I, I based it on the actual true story of the family and the actual historical events, but I create a storyline that is fiction. Mm-hmm. And how was it to write? from a 10-year-old's perspective? Well, I actually loved it. Uh, I felt like I was able to get into her head, um, partly because I knew her later in life. I, I did uh, meet her uh, as an adult. And then I had one letter that she had written when she was 13, right at the end of the war. She wrote the letter to her American cousin to describe what she had experienced. So I had one letter in her voice so I could see how she talked. I could see um, how direct she was, uh, how forthright, uh, how, uh, what kind of vocabulary she used. So I felt like I, I had access to her and I could get in her voice. Once I got in it, it was very easy to stay in it. Sure, sure. Was she alive when you published the first book? Did she know you put this together? 
the first one? Yes. Oh, yes, oh good. She was alive then. So mm -hmm. she did know. Oh, that's that's wonderful. What a tribute. <clears throat> what a tribute. Yes, she she loved it, and her son, I mean, um, Grace's son, so that was her brother, um, were also very proud of it. Sure, I imagine. Well, if if you would, maybe just give us a peek into the storyline. You don't have to give away too much, but just to give our readers an idea of what to anticipate. All right. Uh, well, at the beginning of the book, the two girls are walking home from school. It's Nini and Chiyoko. They're both 10 years old. They're both uh, uh, mixed uh, Eurasian um, girls. Um, Nini is, of course, Chinese father, American mother. And Chiyoko is Japanese father and Chinese mother. And so they go to an international school, and they're walking home, and they're stopped by Japanese soldiers who force them back to to uh, force them back off the road. And um, uh, something is happening; they don't know what. And they they move through the crowd and find that a um, black car is coming down the street, and soldiers, Japanese soldiers, behind it. So they wait until the car passes, and then they they run uh, to um, through the back alleys and end up in a garden. And Chiyoko tells Nini that her father had told her that something was going to happen and that her mother, that Nini's mother, was going to be in danger. And so neither one of them know what that means, but they create this secret hiding place in the garden to leave messages for each other so they can stay in touch. And then Chiyoko shows Nini a way she can get from this garden to her area where she lives. And she lives in the French concessions, which were um, the French-owned territories in China. The French-owned territory, the British, the Russians, the Japanese, etc. they all had um, districts inside China. And so because Nini lived in the French district, she thought, thought she was safe. In fact, everyone thought they were safe in the French district because it was not owned by China, therefore the Japanese would not attack it. But all bets were off after Pearl Harbor. And when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, they knew the American fleet could not attack them or stop them. And they moved into the French concession and the other concessions immediately. And so Nini is at her window the next morning watching the Japanese soldiers marching down the street in front of her house. And she doesn't understand what has happened but she does know that she's not going to be able to see her friend. And this is what her friend was talking about. So the, <clears throat> later in the day, they find out that, that America has declared war on Japan and Japan has attacked Pearl Harbor. And the story goes on from there as the family begin, finds out that the uh, Americans and British and other foreigners are uh, in, in danger of being arrested and then put in internment camps. So the father, the Chinese father of, of Nini's family, uh, finds a place where they can move and where they can hide. And so they, they just, they hide their mother for four years during the course of the war. And Nini becomes the one who can actually save the family because she looks Chinese. She can get past the Japanese guards. She can, she knows how to go, go through the city and she can, uh, so she ends up being the one who saves the family by finding the medicine they need and the news, the news that the war is about to end. And she's in the field by herself at the end, 
when she sees the American planes flying overhead. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what the cover, the cover is uh, a picture of Mimi in the open field and in the sky is an airplane and dragonflies because in her mind she has been dreaming um, of these planes the whole war. This is her dragonfly dream. And uh, so she know, she in, she sees the airplanes at first and they she confuses them with her vision of the dragonflies and then she realizes what they are and she knows the war has ended. Mm. So um, that cover, Firebird gave me an award for that cover too. I know I'm not a judge, but I sure would have given it an award too. I loved that cover. It evokes such emotion. You you don't even have to read the book initially. You look at that cover and you know that you have to read the book. It's just so compelling. Everything about that cover touched me. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. That's very that means a lot to me. I I want to tell you just a, a minute if we have a minute yes. about how that cover came Please. about because my publisher is Kohler Books. John Kohler is the publisher. And it's a, it's an indie press. So he he asked me three ideas that I had for the cover. So I wrote down three different ideas, and then uh, his uh, designers produced all three of them. And and I was able to choose two, the two that I like best. And then we put those up for uh, kind of a vote, and we sent it out to you know friends and family and anybody who was interested on social media, and people voted on which cover they wanted. And uh, so this was the winning cover. (laughs) But I love that approach because I think very few publishers are willing to share that process. It was, to me, it was an engagement process. It got a lot of people interested. And um, I thought it was brilliant. It is brilliant because it's pre-marketing. Uh, folks that may not even know about the book, now they feel attached to it because they had some say-so in the cover. Um, yeah, it's it's a very smart marketing tool, and it also is the proper way to create a cover for the author. Y- you want that cover to reflect what you had in mind, and so, yeah, sometimes I hear about folks where the publisher just puts a cover on it and, and the author doesn't have much say-so in it, so... Yes, uh, and I think you're right. It was a pre-marketing. It was smart. It got people engaged. People were then looking forward to seeing the book. And and even now when I go out and and I'm uh, selling the book, people say, oh, yes, I voted on this one, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. Great to hear. That is. So talk about the feedback. Let us know what have you heard from readers. Well, I'm getting great feedback. And, And to my surprise, the book is well, actually, it's not to my surprise because I I thought adults would like it. I'm getting a lot of feedback that adults love this book because this is a period of history they did not know. They they did not study this in school. We don't know much about China. We don't know much about World War II on the other side of the ocean. Um, so it, there's a lot of new information here, and I tell it in a way that's very engaging. So um, adults have loved it, and a lot of book clubs are reading it. I do encourage uh, people, if they have a book club, to to recommend it. Even though it's a it's identified as a younger reader's book, they shouldn't be limited by that. This, this means it's engaging, and it's uh, you know, as you know, lots of younger readers' books are very good in their history. So this is just one of those that I think it would be very gripping to an adult book club. Oh, no doubt. to talk about. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, yes, disregard that it's for young adults. It's for everybody. It, like you say, it does share 
history that we don't know about. I always appreciate fictionalized history because I know that if it's a good author, it is steeped in honest truth and research and history. But to read it in an enjoyable fashion and not such dry historical terms, I think keeps the person, keeps the reader engaged, and it actually lasts longer. I think it has more of a memorable effect. I think that's right, because the, the history is told more through through action and through the dialogue and through the characters, and so you see more of the impact of it rather than just the uh, dates and, and events. Right, right. So other than the conversations that you had with your aunt and family and the photos and articles that you found, letters from their past, I'm imagining there was quite a bit of research on your part that went into pulling this all together. Well, absolutely. Uh, just, uh, But it, it came about very organically, very naturally, because I had so many details that were personal. I just needed the framework. And I kind of see it as an envelope. Uh, I see the historical facts as the envelope. And then in that envelope, I put a story. I put a letter. And so the content that you read is actually fictional. But the envelope that's holding it is historical. Historical. I love that. Got a mental picture in my mind of that envelope. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Never heard it put quite that way. I like it. So what is next for you? What are you working on now? Well, uh, I am... I'm. I actually, I'm enjoying this process so much. I'm letting myself just um, be present in in Dragonfly Dreams and selling it, talking to people. Um, I'm doing a lot of social media, which involves writing every day, uh, but it's still it's different than writing a book. I'm not sure I'll write another book right now. <laughs> I want to enjoy this one. <laughs> But speaking of social media, I would like for people to know uh, how to contact me. Please share that, yes. Um, well, let's see. I'm on uh, Instagram as Eleanor McCauley Cooper. And maybe I should spell that. Uh, E-L-E-A-N-O-R-M-C-C-A-L-L-I-E-C-O-O-P-E-R. I'm on Facebook, also Eleanor McCauley Cooper. And on Twitter... Eleanor M. Cooper, um, and I just would invite people, to, whatever they use, to join me. And my my website is eleanormacaulaycooper.com. And let me say something about that, because on my website, I have a lot of resources that people might uh, want. If they're in a book club or they're teaching a class, uh, I really hope this will reach teachers and librarians. So they may want some of these resources. There's a map that shows uh, where the story took place. The map is also in the book. I have a um, historical guideline. I have questions that could be asked. Um, lots and lots of photos um, that, that someone would enjoy looking at. Uh, and then there's uh, Catherine Patterson wrote uh, a piece, a, a preface for the book, and her full uh, letter is there. And then that letter I mentioned earlier that um, my protagonist wrote, Nini wrote, when she was 13 years old after the World War II uh, to her cousin in America, that letter is, is also on my website. So um, I welcome people to go there and, and look for those things. Excellent. EleanorMacaulayCooper.com. So you, you are on a lot of social media. Are you finding any social media that seems to work better for you? 
truthfully, I haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I love Instagram because of the visual nature of it, and I do have lots of visuals. I love Twitter because it's really short, and I think a lot of publishers and writers are on Twitter, uh, and I enjoy that as well. Um, but probably Facebook is where I, I let it out the most. Um, so uh, it, it, all of them, they're a little different, and I just hope that uh, I reach the people who want to be reached. Oh, so you're having a fun time with this. I don't blame you for not starting another book. You put so many years. How many years did it take to get to this book, including your nonfiction book? Oh, probably 20 altogether, mm -hmm. you know, starting with the research. Right. Um, and then even after I finished writing Dragonfly Dreams, it took me four years to get it published. And if it weren't for COVID, I'm not sure I would have ever gotten it published. It, COVID really made the difference to to make the pitch that, now children in the world could understand this story because they're experiencing it too. That really helped, I think. Oh, that's very interesting. Many people say that when COVID hit, it kind of put the kibosh on on anyone being interested in their work. But I guess yours was different. It, it was timely. The subject matter was something that publishers felt was of interest at the time. This would be, even though it's, it's China and even though it's World War II, the experience of war and the experience of a pandemic share in common that for children, they are isolated. They're isolated with their parents. They cannot go to school and, and sometimes can't go outside. Uh, that they would, that this book would be a way that children could uh, look at their own experience, but also a way for teachers or others to, to talk to a child about their experience. So, yeah, I made that point that this, this was a good book for the COVID years. Well, excellent. I'm so glad you found us and that we are able to share you and your book, Dragonfly Dreams, written by Eleanor McCauley Cooper. She's on all of the social media sites that we're supposed to be on, and her website is eleanormcauleycooper.com. This has just been a wonderful conversation. I was so looking forward to spending a few minutes with you, getting to know you and sharing your book. So thank you for taking the time to spend time with us. Well, thank you, Pat. I enjoyed it.